It's a Mailbag Monday. We've got your questions, including where do all of these Mariners infield prospects play when they make the majors? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more, because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. As we do every single Monday, this is a mailbag episode. All of these questions came from listeners of the show. If you have questions for us, tons of ways to submit those. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Shows on Twitter at Locked on Farm. We have in the link, like in the episode description, in the show notes, there's a link tree with links to everything else. Discord, subtext, email, whatever it might be. Also a link to our podcast survey. Do us a favor and take that. Helps us kind of plan what to do in 2024. Takes about five minutes. So all of these questions, multiple people have asked all of these things. One of them was about what the Mariners do with all of these infield prospects. And it's something where when you look at their top 10, you've got a lot of different guys. One, listed at shortstop. And then two, that profile to be infielders at the next level. And so where does everybody play? And uh, particularly, I want to talk about the second, short, and third, right? You have Tyler Locklear is pretty much, yes, he's going to be a first baseman. You have a guy like Lazaro Montez, who's probably going to end up moving to first base or potentially DH. But Obviously, you have a lot of guys listed at shortstop, and that's common. This is a farm system that, or a a team that likes to draft prepsters. And typically, obviously, the lower the level of competition, the more likely it is that a guy is going to be a shortstop and then eventually have to move to a different position. And so when you're looking at Colt Emerson, Cole Young, uh, Ty Pete, some of these guys, I think where I end up on the spectrum, and I've gotten some feedback from this recently, is I think you're going to see Cole Young at second and Colt Emerson at third. And that's a little bit of an evolution in my thinking. I think because I was in tune with Colt Emerson's committed college program at Auburn University and how they were planning on playing him at second, I may have pigeonholed him into being a second baseman and didn't necessarily consider that, no, the arm is good enough where he could kick out to third as well. Now, I still don't know if he fits the profile of a stereotypical third baseman, but I absolutely think he could get it done when I've rewatched some of his games and seen some of what he's done with the arm, with the instincts, positioning, things like that. So, kind of recap here, uh, amongst the first round picks that they had, Colt Emerson, 28 games in the minors between rookie ball and single A. 405, 5'11", 5'77", was the slash line for Colt Emerson. Ridiculous. Yes, small sample size of 28 games, but still absolutely showed that he is more of a pure hitter 
than I think a lot of other people or than maybe everybody expected. And he may end up being one of the best prep bats in that draft or in that first round. Had two home runs and 15 extra base hits with 19 walks and 22 strikeouts and went 8 of 8 on stolen bases. And I mentioned the defense. He, like I said, his college program, had he made it to campus, they were going to play him at second base. And when you watch him, the speed is fringe to average. And the range isn't, I think, good enough to stay at shortstop. Now, that's mostly, not entirely, it's mostly what he played in the minors. He had 14 games at short. He had eight games at second. And he had two games at DH. And so, uh, second and short. But the arm is good enough to kick him out to third. And offensively, he profiles to be a guy that can obviously help you with both the bat and the defense. But I don't necessarily know how much power he's going to hit for. If I was giving it grades as of now, it's probably a 60-grade hit tool. I'm a believer in what Cole Emerson can do with a bat in his hands. Uh, in the contact ability, the his ability to use all fields. He doesn't really have a lot of holes in the swing. Again, I think he's one of the best natural hitters in last year's draft out of that prep class. When it comes to power, it's sometimes hard to evaluate because it feels like he hits too many low-line drives and he hits too many ground balls. And so you're having to account for one what adjusting and fixing the launch angle does for his power production. And then two, when he has those natural strength gains that you see so many prep players have as they progress through the mind, you know, he adds the three mile an hour of bat speed or whatever it might be. What does that do to his power ceiling as well? And so it's hard for me to, I guess, know where he's going to end up. The assumption uh, being conservative, I'd assume 15 to 20 home runs. Uh, now, I understand offensively that makes you a hit over power profile at third base isn't ideally what you want. Uh, and so I think I'd prefer him to be at second, but I think he can play third. And if you're assuming that most of these guys, most of these top prospects make it, you need him to play third because one of the other options. Cole Young, I don't think can play third base. He spent all year in the minors and is probably going to start off at double A. He hit both single A and high A last year. So both Modesto and Everett. And in 130 games for Cole Young last year, 279, 406, 448, 11 home runs, 54 extra base hits, 95 walks to 93 strikeouts. Very good pitch recognition there of 32 on stolen bases. But defensively, it feels like he has to move to second base because the arm is, it's probably a half a tick, half a grade below Colt Emerson's. And it feels like he really, he can't keep it dialed in when he has to go longer distances. The extra effort required to get the ball, say from third base to first, means he loses some of the accuracy. So I think he's going to have to kick into second base. I think he's probably a little bit faster than Colt Emerson. uh, And it's something where the arm is what's going to hold him back, right? And you've seen guys at the major league level be good defenders without great arms. Dansby Swanson's somebody that comes to mind as a guy who watched him in Atlanta and 
now, you know, won a gold glove with the Cubs. But it feels like Cole Young's going to need to kick into second base. He could probably get it done at short, but it's going to be touch and go. And so you kick him into second base. He's just going to be a consistently good hitter. He's going to have a really good hit tool, power, same situation as Colt Emerson. I don't quite know what his power ceiling is going to be, but I do think it's going to be a little bit below, uh, a little bit below Colt Emerson's. And so Cole Young, 12 to 15 home runs. Like he's going to give you really good on base percentages. He's going to be able to, he's not going to be a significant stolen base threat, but he's going to be able to do what needs to be done. And then the big wild card in all of this, there's two wild cards actually. The first wild card is Ty Pete, also a first rounder last year, 28 games. 265, 331, 376. Two home runs, eight extra base hits, 12 walks to 38 strikeouts, and six of seven on stolen bases. He is one, the arm strength is really good. He was a two way player in college or in high school, like a lot of these guys are, could run the fastball up to 94 or so. And so he could stick it short or play third when you look at the above average speed issue here is he's really raw, right? He spent a lot of his time playing both ways. He uh, has a bigger frame. He's 6'3 already. And I feel like he's going to be probably the last one of this group to be able to come up, assuming he makes it. Again, on this show, we just assume everybody's going to make it because it's a lot easier to talk about that than it is to say, on average, any prospect you look at isn't going to be a productive major leaguer. And I think Ty Pete could stick it short if everything worked out right. Felnin Celestin, the international free agent, I feel like he's also a guy that could absolutely stick it short as somebody who probably would have plus power as well. But obviously, he's even farther away than everybody else is. He's going to debut in the Arizona Complex League next year. So really far away, and they may change things a little bit. If both of those guys panned out, you could have one at third and one at short, and then Emerson and Young are battling for second. There's a lot of different ways this could work out. Obviously, the depth is going to work itself out, but uh, a lot of flexibility here depending on how guys' tools develop and where they end up. Speaking of international prospects, multiple, multiple people have asked about who to watch for in the signing period that starts next month. We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. You can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. It's an incredibly easy-to-use app, and there's a ton of betting options. Spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. Back on the Monday episode of Locked MLB Prospects, and we've actually had multiple people ask us about international free agency. We're getting to that time the signing period opens up in January, and there's a lot of people who are 
getting excited about who their teams might sign. And so we've had multiple questions about who are the top players to watch for, where are they committed to go. Uh, reminder on how this works, January 15th is when the period starts. December 15th is when it ends. Uh, for eligibility, you have to be you have to have turned 16 before you sign and be 17 before September 1st of the next year. So you had to be born between September 1st, 2006 and August 31st, 2007 to be eligible to sign. You have to also be registered with MLB in advance to be eligible. Now, every team has a specific amount of money that they can use to sign international prospects. Unlike the MLB draft, this is a hard cap. You cannot exceed this. So the largest pools, uh, Diamondbacks, Guardians, Orioles, who always do a good job international free agency, Padres, Pirates, Rockies, Royals, $7.1 million. I'm obviously rounding this for sake of making this easy. Some other teams, A's, Brewers, Mariners, Marlins, Rays, Reds, Tigers, and Twins are about $6.5 million. There are some teams that did not get any sort of competitive balance pick. They are at $5.2 million. That is the base level. The Astros are in there, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Giants, like Mets, Nationals, Red Sox, White Sox, larger market teams, right? White Sox, great job with Cuban international free agents. Just below that, $5.15 million, there's four clubs who forfeited $500,000 from their pool because they signed a player that had a qualifying offer. Tyler Anderson with the Angels, Chris Bassett with the Blue Jays, Wilson Contreras with the Cardinals, Dansby Swanson with the Cubs. So they have $5.1 or $5.2 million. And then uh, there are four teams who, are, who pay into revenue sharing and or had higher CBT penalties and signed a player with a qualifying offer. And so they lost a million dollars from their pool. The Rangers actually signed Jacob DeGrom and Nathan Eovaldi. The Padres signed Xander Bogarts. The Phillies signed Trey Turner. The Yankees signed Carlos Rodon. And so they have $4.6 million. The top players to watch for, as expected, it's a bunch of shortstops. That's typically what Leo DeVries is considered to be the number one player out of the Dominican. It's He is seen to be very similar. And you see a lot of comps in this. And again, we don't do comps on this show, but for the sake of giving you an idea of the player, we're going to repeat some of the comps that are common for these players to give you an idea of the style of their game. Uh, Leo DeVries, the most common one there uh, is Jose Ramirez of the Guardians, right? He's 6'2". Again, listed at shortstop right now. Most of these guys are already are still listed at shortstop, even though a lot of them are destined to move. The belief is, as he's a switch hitter that could hit for plenty of power, he has good speed. Again, similar to Jose Ramirez. You see why this stylistic comp makes sense. He's he trains in the Dominican. I believe it's Larry Pimentel who's part of the trainer partnership program. A lot of the way this stuff works is the trainers have good relationships with specific clubs. In this case, DeVries is expected to sign with the Padres. I say expected to sign. These deals are essentially all agreed to, but they can't officially be submitted until January 15th. And so there's 
It's a terrible system, but we don't really have a better system as of now, so this is what we end up using. Outfielder Polino Santana is the number two overall pick. He's listed at 6'2", 180. Uh, same thing, he is the comparisons, again, stylistic comparisons, that he gets is Julio Rodriguez. As far as a very good hit tool, plus power potential, and is just, in essence, above average to plus that everything doesn't really have weaknesses. The arm isn't necessarily a strength, but it's not a detriment either. So if he eventually had to move off of center, he could move to to he could move to right field. He wouldn't be confined to left field. And he very cerebral hitter does a very good job at in-game and at-bat adjustments, remembering how he was sequenced and changing what he does at the plate to account for how this pitcher's attacking him versus what he did last time, things like that. A lot of complimentary stuff in his write-ups. Polino Santana projected to go to the Rangers in this. The number three guy, shortstop Jose Perdomo out of Venezuela, he is expected to sign with the Atlanta Braves. Considered to be the best hit tool in this class, as far as contact ability, as far as understanding of the strike zone, as far as ability to get quality contact out of all of his swings, right? Uh, same time, a guy 5'10", 160, if there's not a growth spurt in there, you have to think shortstop is fine. You wonder if he could play third base or not depending on how much he grows. Obviously, even more of a projection needed than a lot of other younger players simply because of the way international free agency works. A lot of this is predictions on how they're going to grow and do things in the future. Uh, something where plus runner, again, rarely strikes out, puts the ball in play a lot, depending on where the power ceiling comes in. Could be at short, could be at second, but should be able to defensively stick it short is the thought process. The fourth guy, Fernando Cruz, out of the Dominican, credited to the Cubs coming up. Something where apparently is really good at going to the opposite field. Despite, despite being a righty, he puts a lot of balls into right field. Very good strength in his hands and his forearms. And so a lot of his stuff, he can catch up to a lot of balls. If he gets fooled, he can manipulate the barrel to make contact, things like that. Still aggressive at the plate. Obviously, we talk about it a lot with a lot of young players, but especially this. Defensively, they feel like he's a plus runner that can stick at shortstop, is standing about six foot right now. Uh, again, don't know how much he'll grow, but apparently he's very lean. Uh, and and physically has not put on really any sort of bad weight. And so the thought process is, as he continues to physically develop, he's going to be able to maintain at shortstop. And then they believe the power is above average, probably 20, maybe a little bit above home runs. Full disclosure on this, uh, I don't really pay a lot of attention to international free agency. A lot of this stuff comes from Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, different people who have written this up, fan graphs simply because I already have 120 minor league teams to pay attention to, right? There's 120 minor league affiliates, not counting the 30 complex league teams. And at a certain point, the bandwidth just isn't there. 
And so we don't talk as much on this show about international free agency as we should. And it's not for not wanting to. It's because, one, there's so many more unknowns with those players because oftentimes teams have agreed with their trainers, with them on the deals at age 15, 16, and then they get stashed away. They train at the academy for a year or whatever before it's actually able time to sign. And so oftentimes these scouting reports are out of date sometimes and you, the player signs and he's two or three inches taller and he's 30 pounds heavier and the skills have progressed from what we have. And so oftentimes I wait for them to come stateside before I really start digging into some of these guys, but uh, international free agency and has become a bigger part of the prospect conversation in recent years. So we're going to do a, try to do a better job of covering international free agency as well and not just sticking with stateside minor leaguers. In just a minute, had a couple different questions about what would you get the prospect or the baseball-obsessed person for Christmas? We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Final segment of the Monday show, and I want you to know that Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus the national shows like this one covering every single league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube to subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. It will be coming to Amazon Fire devices and Roku devices soon. Okay, final segment here and got a question because next week, in case you were not ready, Christmas is coming up and has some questions about what to get the baseball and the prospect obsessed person in your life. Couple different recommendations, things that I have gotten, things that I have enjoyed. The first one is, it seems obvious and a lot of, they may already have it, but prospect handbooks right? Uh, Baseball America, Prospects Live, a bunch of different companies now put out the prospect handbooks. And I think one of the big advantages of these handbooks is it gives you a convenient paper guide and a resource to have everything right in front of you. And if there's a player that you haven't necessarily seen, you don't necessarily know a lot about them, you can see as of January, Where was this player in the organization? What were the thoughts of his game entering this year? Obviously not the be-all, end-all. These things change all the time. But a prospect handbook is a very good place to start. One of my favorite books that comes out every single spring, and obviously I get the handbooks too, I, I read the handbooks, but is a book from friend of the show, James Bailey. We had him on last year to talk about last year's version. It's called Major League Debuts. And what James does is he writes up a recap of every player who debuted in the major leagues in the previous season. No matter their age, no matter their prospect status, he talks about a summary of the previous minor league season for them, a recap of their first game, a background about them and who they are, and then what you could maybe expect going forward from them. It's got complete minor and major league stats for every single guy, very comprehensive games per position, just 
splits all kinds of really useful information. Last year, there were 303 players. This is 2022. 303 players debuted in the major leagues. I went and checked before he came on the show just to make sure it was right. Every single one of them is in the 2023 copy of Major League Debuts. So it's a really fun book. Simply, if you enjoy learning about baseball players in general and like to just, not just the top prospects, but everybody, it's a great suggestion. Some of the others, the other books, maybe not necessarily minor specific, but just books in general, books about baseball. I like some of the educational ones. One of my favorites, and he's not been on the show. I'm not being paid to say any of this. These are just books that I enjoyed. Tyler Kepner wrote a book called K, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches. And the idea is he talks about all of the common pitches in baseball, right? Fastball, uh, curveballs, but also stuff like knuckleballs, spitballs. Just talks about the backgrounds of those and how that pitch has been significant in the history of this game. Really enjoyed getting to learn about, say, the screwball and where that first came about, the splitter. It's a fun read for any baseball fan. Tyler has another book that's, I believe, either just came out or is coming out soon about a history of the World Series. I've been told I have that coming in my stocking for Christmas. Excited about that. And then, because he did come on the show, Winning Fixes Everything from Evan Drellich of The Athletic. It's a great story about the Houston Astros and the people who worked there and were there during the time of the sign stealing scandal, Uh, focusing more on the front office personnel, general manager, things like that. And the things that they did as far as management wise, interpersonal relationships wise, the things that they did that created a culture where somebody would think the sign stealing thing was a good idea. So he doesn't, he does talk about the sign stealing scandal, but a lot of it is about, it's a management book wrapped up in baseball, right? So if you're somebody like me, I've got an MBA, uh, but I, I obviously work in, work in baseball now. It's a really interesting read to hear about the management side and the business decisions they made, the personnel decisions they made, and the ramifications that had on the baseball side of the team. Uh, and the the effects of that kind of a not as common of a topic for everybody but I really enjoyed it and then if you don't necessarily if you're worried about getting them a book that they may or may not have already read you can always get them a score book I've got uh, it's called the half liner it's from a company called the Ephus League and this is by far my favorite type of my favorite score book I've ever used it's a two-page spread per game. This one, this scorebook holds 81 games, so half of a major league season. And it's been a ton of it, tons of fun for me to be able, whenever I go to a game in person, I'm keeping score. I like to have my written notes there. It was incredibly useful when I was in Montgomery for a week calling games for the AA Montgomery Biscuits. So you absolutely cannot, uh, do, don't sleep on getting them a really nice scorebook to use if they go to a lot of games. Uh, For clothing, I think Pitching Ninja shirts 
make a surprisingly good gift. I have, I say that I have probably 20 of them. No, Rob Freeman's not paid me to say this. He is welcome to come on the show. I'd love to have him anytime he wants to. But for me, it's just a good go-to. Like, Let's say I'm going to a minor league game and I'm not there to cheer for either team. I'm going as an impartial observer. I'm going to observe players and, you know, get live looks on prospects. I don't want to be biased towards one team or the other. I'll wear a pitching ninja shirt in an unrelated third color, right? They've got tons of different color combinations, tons of different designs. They've, they did a lot of great shirts for the WBC when it happened. They've done shirts for uh, college baseball. Whenever there's a national champion, they get a custom shirt design. Tons of fun. They're very affordable. They're very comfortable as well. And then the last thing that I think is really useful, especially if you're somebody who likes to try to look at a prospect yourself and form your own opinions of them, is a subscription to MLB.tv. The way that this works starting in 2023, so the year we just finished, is you choose your favorite team in the app. And whatever team you have chosen as your favorite team, depending on where you live, you may or may not get to watch that major league team. The blackout restrictions are still in place, but you do get to watch all of that team's minor league affiliate games for free. And you can change your favorite team whenever you want. So if there's a specific matchup that I wanted to see, let's say it was uh, AAA St. Louis versus AAA Los Angeles, right? Springfield versus Oklahoma City. I can turn my favorite team on the app to either St. Louis or Los Angeles and then be able to watch that minor league matchup. Let's say I wanted to watch the Modesto Nuts do something. I could go and say, hey, the Seattle Mariners are my favorite team. I would change it, takes effect immediately. I could watch that minor league team and then boom, back to normal. So a uh, couple different gift ideas there. Feel free to clip this third segment and send it to somebody if you think that they need some ideas of how to buy stuff for you. In the meantime, if you've got questions for our mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked On Farm. Uh, everything else in the episode description in the show notes. Until tomorrow's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. 